Chris? Right, she's just been standing all day. And give her a round of applause, please. Because she only struggled once in that long list of names. <laughs> Glennis, you threw her off. Now, isn't this a weird passage? I said to Taryn a few days ago, Taryn, this is so difficult to preach on this piece of, of writing. Because partly, this is a letter that Paul has written. He, he's done most of what he wants to say. He's coming to the ends now. And at first glance, it looks like this is totally irrelevant to us. And I want to say to you that in many ways, this is totally irrelevant to us. Um, can I just see, show of hands, please. Um, Phoebe, present? No, Phoebe hasn't made it today. Does she work in Corinth? Okay, wrong Phoebe. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila. No? Wrong Priscilla. <laughs> um, what about Epinatus? There he is, okay. Um, Mary, Andronicus, Junia. All of these people, Paul is writing and saying, greet that person, greet that person. That person works really hard for Jesus. Greet them. And, and he's just, in a sense, it's, it's just greeting 26 individuals, two families, three house churches. It's very easy to go, okay, It's very easy to just go, well, skip the greetings. Chrysostom, the, the church father for many hundreds of years ago, he was writing on Romans and he, he decided to comment on how many of us just skip over the, the greetings. And he said, it is possible even from bare names to find great treasure. Now, hopefully we're going to find some treasure. Perhaps it will be great treasure this morning. Who knows? But, but I think what, what question I want you to have wrangling and settling in your heads as we look through this, this frankly interesting chapter is this question. What is it that motivates you as a Christian and us as a church? Is it the sense of community that we have when you come together? Is it the sense of fellowship that you have and the joy that you have in seeing each other? Is it spending time with God that motivates you as a, as a member of the church? Is it seeing people flourish? What is it that motivates us as the church of Jesus Christ? Now we do have a very, <coughs> sorry, a very long list of names here. Uh, if you were a historian, you'd probably be over the moon having a sermon on this chapter because you could look through the names and find out a lot of sociological information about the church in Rome. Um, at a minimum, you'd be able to say how many people came from Israel, how many people came from Asia, how many people came from uh, Rome, how many people came from where. So you, you'd figure out their ethnicity, uh, but names you can also figure out 
uh, quite often the class of the people or the occupation of the people. Uh, I don't think it's quite as true these days, but in those days uh, you could tell if someone was a slave, for example, because they probably had a name that slaves had, like useful (laughs) or useless. (laughs) Now, the Roman Christians, if you do look through that, uh, are a diverse rank of people. They they, um, are both Jewish and Gentile, if you look through their names. Uh, Some of the names, like Ampliatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philologus, Julia, these were common names for slaves. So we've got lots of slaves there. Um, you've got some, some rather more high and mighty people. Uh, it's possible that Aristobulus, is a great name, uh, that's in verse 10, it's possible that he is the grandson of Herod the Great, who was also great friends with the Roman Emperor Claudius. Now, he's got slaves. That when it says the household of Aristobulus, is probably referring to slaves. So he's got slaves who are Christians. Um, we've also got Narcissus, um, who is possibly uh, the same Narcissus of history, who was a rich, powerful freedman who, um, who had great influence on the emperor. So you've got slaves who have connections to great authority in the empire, and you've just got slaves. And then you've also got um, some other folk. You've got Rufus, who is who's quite possibly the same Rufus whose father Simon carried the cross for Jesus back in Jerusalem. Rufus is, is just one of those, whenever he's mentioned in the New Testament, it's mentioned in terms of, you all know who he is, you know, Rufus. And we're sitting here today go, is it the same guy? I think it probably is. You've got Epinatus, who's mentioned only here in the New Testament, but, but this guy is from Asia probably. He's the first person in the whole province of Asia, um, which is not Asia as we think of it. It's, it's kind of like that Middle East, Greece, um, Albania kind of area. Uh, he was the first convert to Christianity in that part of the world. Uh, most of the Christians came, it seems, from the lower classes, but, but there were some wealthier people there. You had Erastus, who is with Paul, uh, in the church, writing to the church in Rome. He was uh, the, the treasurer or the director of public works in the city there. You had Gaius, who was wealthy enough to host Paul and the whole church. You have Phoebe, who's going to Rome. Now, she is a deacon in the church at Sincrea, which Sincrea, if you know your geography, which I'm not really good at, but Corinth is a really interesting place in that it's got two ports. It sits on sort of like a crossroads there, and uh, Sancreia is, I think, the eastern port. Uh, you can't go and see it today. It slipped into the ocean. You can, however, go and go diving and see the ruins of Sancreia. Now, Phoebe is from there. She's obviously a wealthy woman. She's going to Rome on business. Um, and in Rome, she will meet some poor people, but also some wealthy people like Aquila and Priscilla. Now, if you read through Acts, Aquila and Priscilla are a couple who had to leave Rome uh, along with quite a few of the Jews. Remember, we've seen uh, as we've gone through Rome, one of the big issues for Paul is that there was this latent anti-Semitism in the church in Rome. A lot of the Jewish people had been forced to leave um, by Emperor Claudius. Eventually, they were allowed to go back. Priscilla and Aquila were were some of those who, who seems they had to go. 
they wound up with Paul at Corinth. They were tent makers with him, and then they started being missionaries with him. They ended up going to Ephesus, where together they, they, they taught the gospel. They, they helped a guy called Apollos come to a better understanding. Apollos then went and taught the gospel further. And then eventually, it seems somehow they made their way back to Rome when the law saying no Jews in Rome was lifted. So you've got some poor people, you've got some rich people, you've got some Jewish people, you've got some Gentile people, you've got a hodgepodge of people. The other interesting thing, <coughs> excuse me, as we look at the list of names here, anyone confused, anyone bored yet? Okay, confused maybe? Yeah, it, it, bear with me, bear with me, because these, these names are... Just names, but I hopefully we'll get something out of it. About a third of those people that Paul greets are ladies. So let's just do a scientific survey. Can I have all the men put up their hands, please? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Steve? Twelve. Thirteen. Dave, did you have your hand up? Fourteen. Okay, men, uh, fourteen. How many women are there? Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. 23. So our church is slightly different to the church in Rome, at least the people that Paul knows, because for Paul, about a third of the people are women. For us, it's probably more like a third more women than men or half as many again. And they're not just women who, you know, making the tea for the church out back. Phoebe is a deacon in the church in Sincrea, as we've said, and she's actually entrusted by Paul, it seems, to carry this letter to Rome, which is a big responsibility. She has going to go, she's going to take this letter, she's going to say, yes, this is actually from Paul. That's his handwriting at the end there. Um, she's evidently a woman of some means. She supported the church. She supported Paul. Uh, and Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, guys, look after her when she comes. We're also told about Junia and her husband Andronicus. Now, if you know anything about women in the church, you'll know that this verse causes all sorts of angry outbursts for some reason. Um, some translations we'll probably put it as Junius. Junius and Andronicus. Um, it's people saying, well, it can't be a woman's name because she's called outstanding amongst the apostles. Um, unfortunately, grammatically, there is no evidence anywhere else that there was ever a person named Junius. It's not a male name. It's a female name. It's quite probable here that Junius is married to Andronicus. Uh, together they are, as I said, outstanding amongst the apostles. That doesn't mean they are among the 12 apostles. Um, it means that they have seen the risen Jesus and that they are messengers of that fact. So, so what we've got here is a missionary couple going out telling people about Jesus. And then we've got uh, Priscilla and her husband Aquila. We've mentioned them already. But what's interesting is that every time they are mentioned in the Bible, Priscilla's name gets mentioned first. 
which is interesting. Um, for all those who thought Christians are chauvinists, and especially Paul, well, it seems that Priscilla, there are some who say oh, her name gets mentioned first because she had a higher social status than her husband. This is Paul writing. Paul doesn't care about social status. Now, I think the reason Priscilla gets mentioned first is because probably she had the more striking and more gifted role in the couple. Now, don't worry, we're not going to be preaching about women in ministry here. Because to be perfectly frank, you cannot decide an issue like that based on, say, g'day too. But we can glean some information here that, that at least it seems that women as much as men were playing an important role in the church in Rome and in Corinth. They were both uh, serving God, they were both doing uh, teaching work, missionary work. And in many religions in that time, uh, a woman's place was very much away from public religion. You, you could serve and participate via your husband, by proxy. But the early church was different. The Roman church had this incredible diversity when it came to race and ethnicity and, and gender. They were a, a strange bunch the rich mingling with the poor, the Gentiles mingling with the Jews, the woman and the man in the same building. Craziness ensues. Now, I'm not saying our church must match identically with the statistical information we can derive from Romans 16. If we were to say that, we would ask, I don't know, a, Ten of the ladies to leave? In fact, let's do that. Taryn, Rhea. Of course we can't say we have to be identical to the Roman church, but, but what we can ask is what it was that motivated this church, what, what was it that glued this diverse bunch of people together? And I think the answer that we, we find even in Paul's greetings here is, is not that they were joining together because you're my kind of people. They were joining together because they were united by Christ into one family. At verses 3, 7, 9, 10, Paul says of people, you are in Christ. Verses 8, 11, 12, 12 again, and 13, he says of them, you are in the Lord. Verses 1 and 14, he uses the family language of, of sister and brother. He calls them my beloved. He speaks of them being his fellow workers and fellow sufferers for the sake of the gospel. You see, what, what motivated this church, it cannot be that they came together because they were of of one race or one gender or one anything except Christ. They came together 
because they had all come to know Christ and they all wanted to serve Christ. And that could mean that they served going to jail for sharing the gospel. Paul says of some of them, they were in jail with me. It could mean that they were tidying up after the service. Mary worked really hard. It could mean... Say hi to Rufus's mum, because she mothered me so much. Now imagine Paul the Apostle taking the good news to all the world, beaten up, accused, standing in front of emperors and kings defending the gospel, and Rufus's mum says, have you got a warm jacket on, Paul? Come on now. She just loves him that way. Isn't that nice? And all of these people are doing it not because of any other reason except that they love Jesus and that they've been brought together. The odd socks of society joined together in the church in Rome. And Paul says, G'day to all of you guys. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, I have had in my history one person who has tried that on. Oh, awkward, horrible. Let us not take that too literally. J.B. Phillips' translation, uh, I think, catches as well. It says, greet each other with a holy handshake. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying, do more than just get together as strangers. But when you get together, acknowledge one another as family. Acknowledge one another as Family. In fact, I love it because he also writes from the church in Corinth. And remember, at the moment, we saw last week, he's traveling to Jerusalem with representatives from all the churches of the region of Asia, taking money to Jerusalem. And Paul can say, you know, all the churches here say g'day. To you ragtag bunch in Rome, from us ragtag bunch over here, we are so different and yet we are one. We are united, slave, free, Male, female, Jew, Gentile, we are all the church of Jesus Christ. Which makes it surprising then when Paul's just gone, hi, 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 oh, hi, yes, hello, 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 hello. By the way, verse 17, I make one more appeal. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. They're not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. Literally, they are serving their own belly. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. It, it, it seems surprising that Paul goes from this, hello, how are you, what a wonderful church, and, and this image of people from all different spheres coming together, and, and all of a sudden he switches to, watch out for people who will deceive you. Paul knows that he is writing to a church of odds that have been united in Christ. And he knows very clearly from experience that there are those who would lure people away from God and from each other, who would introduce barriers, who would introduce separations between people. would put obstacles in the way of people. 
who would teach stuff that totally contradicts the good news of the Bible. And Paul knows that these are persuasive speakers and that those who are naive or innocent are are very easily susceptible to, to being led astray by them. And in fact, as he looks at the church in Rome, he says, you know what, I'm so glad you guys are so obedient, but but don't be so obedient that you just listen to whoever tells you to do whatever. I want you to be as innocent when it comes to evil. And I want you to be I want you to be as um, wise as you can be in doing the right thing. I don't want you to be led astray. I don't want to break this strange unity that has been formed in Rome. The Roman church was united in serving Christ. That's what motivated them. That's what drove them to keep meeting together, to keep going out, to keep telling people about Jesus. But, says Paul, false teachers, what motivates them is not Christ, but their own personal interests, their own belly, their own desires. This is one of the great ways to know if someone is a false teacher or not. What motivates them? Are they concerned most of all for Jesus and for his church? Or are they concerned for what I can get? what it can benefit me. I'll come and preach at your church. Uh, I do require a five-star hotel, uh, breakfast, uh, bacon. Oh, I'd be questioning that person so closely. And I wouldn't listen to them. Without some serious questions. There is a danger of people trying to break the unity of the church. But you know the strange thing is? That that unity of the church ultimately cannot but prevail. Paul says in verse 20 that God will soon put Satan under your feet and will crush him there. This is going back all the way to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Adam and Eve have just rebelled against God. They've just been expelled. Sin has entered the world. God has just clothed them and sent them out and said, you're going to have to die. But the very next thing he says is that there will come a time when you will crush Satan under your feet. And Paul says again here, yes, there will be people who will come and try and divide this unity, divide this new people that God has drawn together from all over the world, but God's kingdom cannot be beaten and Satan the enemy shall be crushed. Which brings us then to the question, what is it that motivates us as a church? How would we describe ourselves? A retired lecturer, a teacher, missionary, librarian, Fairbridge worker, miner, 
retiree, surveyor, engineer. We're a weird bunch. What is it that motivates us to come together, to work together, to do things like the Christmas carols, to to reach out into our community? What is it that motivates us? Is it, is it our own wants and desires? And it just makes me feel good, Nick. And it makes me feel happy to come to church. Is that what motivates us the most? No, says Paul. Ask yourself this question. Because for the Romans, what motivated them seems to have been their love of Christ. And that is certainly true for Paul. Look at what he says at the end, the, the very last bit, the, the doxology as he, he finishes this letter. He, he wraps up everything that he said. He, if, you, if you go back and read through the whole of Romans, you'll see that he's sort of picking up the highlights in these last few verses here. But, but the overriding emotion for Paul as he's, he's read this letter through, um, you would have noticed one of the guys over there is called Tertius. He says, I wrote this letter for Paul. Um, you usually didn't write your own letters. Paul would have stood up the front and, and dictated this whole thing. Chances are he got to the end, Tertius read it through to him, and then Paul himself picked up the pen. He says elsewhere that he always finishes off in his own handwriting. Picked up the pen and, and wrote down these last few words, and, and fresh in his head is the whole of the book of Romans, and, and the emotion that is coming through at the f- top of his head is one of just, Wow! Isn't God incredible? Isn't he just the most fantastic person ever? Isn't he just worthy to be glorified and lifted up and go, woohoo! Glorify God. It's not just, oh, glorify God. It's, yeah! If you were a surfy, that would make sense. I'm not a surfy, so it might not. N.T. Wright, the theologian, says that this has got very difficult grammar, but he's got a useful way of explaining what Paul's actually on about over here. He speaks about gymnasts in the swimming pool. I thought that would be messy, so I'm not going to do that. But if we think about it, can we all see? All glory To God. You see, that is the overriding message of Paul. That is what has bound everything together. That is, that is what has united this church. They have come together because they all have experienced God and they all want to glorify Him and lift Him up and go, You are just the best person ever, God. You are our Savior. You are the one who came and died for us. You are the one who rescued us. You are the one who rose to life again. Just be lifted up and and, and just know that we think you are the best ever. Paul goes on, and so th- that is the base, but, but he says, why do we give all glory to God? Well, because God is able to make us strong. I had to draw it so that you would actually see what I was doing there. God is able to make us strong, and, and how does he make us strong? Well, well he reminds us that, that he is with us, that, that his love is stronger than anything that stands against us, that that we do not have to fear anything, that, that, that God is for us and who can be against us. That bit of Romans 
8 and, and Romans 7 where Paul says, what a miserable man am I who will save me? Well, thanks be to God. He has made me strong. He has rescued me. He has lifted me up. Why else should we give glory to God? Well, because the good news of God, that's a timeline. The good news of God fulfills the plan that God has been working through all of the ages. And we've already seen how Paul's gone way back to the story of the fall. And he's saying, okay, look at this. God has been planning this all along. Isn't he great? He's been working towards people being one with him all that time back. Glory to God. He's been doing this forever. Why else? Well, because God wants people. That's a picture of the earth with a church in it. God wants people from all... I have to explain, Glennis. God wants people from all over the world to join Him and and obey Him and trust Him and come into that relationship with Him. Isn't He great? He wants people from all over. He's been working at it for so long. He's able to give us strength to stand against the darkness of the world because His light comes and takes up residence within us. And this good news, says Paul, has been made known through the prophetic writings. Again, God has been speaking about this for ages and ages and ages, about how he makes people strong. Joshua, as he came into the land, God said to him, just be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Why? Because I am with you. Again and again and again, we see God saying, be strong because I am with you. I have got a plan that I'm working out. He comes to David, and we're going to see this over Christmas. And he says, David, I've got a plan that I'm working out. I'm going to get to a point where my king comes. He's going to be born. He's going to come from your line, David. And in him, all the world will be blessed. I have a plan, and it's written about throughout the scriptures. And I have decided. It says a a speech bubble that says, let it be so. I have decided. I have commanded that this be so, that all the world will come and know and have an opportunity to come and be one with me. I've planned it. It's, it's, it's me going to make them strong because in their weakness, I will be strong. And Paul says, wow, look at all of this stuff. To the only wise God, all the people who claim to be wise, to the only wise God, be glory. And Paul being Paul, he can't help but add, through Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus Christ, it's through Jesus Christ that all of this comes true. It is through Jesus Christ that the only wise God is glorified. It is through Jesus Christ that the writings of the Old Testament, all of God's promises are true in Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that God's command that we become obedient to him will be fulfilled. It is through Jesus Christ that all the world can come into a relationship with God. It is through Jesus Christ that the plan of God is fulfilled. It is through Jesus Christ alone that we are strong. By ourselves, we cannot be strong. It is through Jesus Christ, God himself, Those two don't work. Who we glory. It is through Jesus Christ. It is because of their unity in Jesus Christ that the church in Rome was united. This ragtag bunch of names, slaves and serfs and rich people and wealthy and women and men and Jews and Gentiles, all united through Jesus Christ. A church of odds and ends united by Christ. United to love each other and to love the world. 
because they serve the same God. Because they are children of the same God. That's what motivated them. That's what motivated Paul. What motivates us? Hans. Praise the Lord. Great message, encouraging. And you know, I, was, I couldn't help thinking all the names that...